Praise the Lord. I'm thankful for Christmas. Praise the Lord. Aren't you thankful for the message of Christmas today and all that we uh, enjoy and all that we celebrate? What a blessing to be able to come together and celebrate together. I want to turn to the book of Romans. If you have your Bibles, you can turn there with me. Romans chapter 15. And a special thanks again to those of you that are online. I know that you could be a lot of other places right now, and uh, like the kitchen. So I appreciate you hanging in there with us. And uh, just uh, hang in there. I know it's tempting. Amen. We have another song when I'm done preaching. They're going to come back and do us a great uh, finale song that we can rejoice and celebrate in. But I want to share a few things from the Word of the Lord with you. Romans chapter 15. And I want to read just one verse, and that is verse 12. And again, Isaiah says, it's quoting from the Septuagint, the Greek translation of the Old Testament, There shall be a root of Jesse, and he who shall rise to reign over the Gentiles. In him the Gentiles shall hope. Most of us are Gentiles here today. What the prophet is saying is that there's a salvation coming from God that's going to splash over outside of Israel. It's not just an exclusive Israel thing anymore. But there's a salvation coming, a root of Jesse, an offspring of Jesse. And in that offspring of Jesse, that's Jesus Christ, by the way, the Gentiles shall hope. And I want to preach to you today simply this, Jesus, hope of the world. Amen. Jesus, hope of the world. Can we just thank Him because we have hope today? Come on, let that really settle in. Would you just give praise to God because we have hope today? Praise the Lord. Thank you for the hope that we have in you today. The Lord bless you. You may be seated. This world always has been and is now looking for a Savior. The world is looking for someone with solutions, someone with answers, someone with a remedy. That's what the world is looking for. Now, if you ask the common person on the street, the common you know, student in university, or the common politician, or just a common person meandering down 6th Street, they may not articulate it that way, but the evidence before us is the world is looking for a Savior. The world is looking for someone, someone that can intervene, someone that can repair, someone that can take what is before us today, whether it is the individual life or the collective social experience that we all share, and someone that can intervene in that and somehow make it a little better. This is true at the political level, but it is most profoundly true on the individual level. The social and political issues that uh, we face in our world today, they, they stem from issues within the individual. They're not really global macro issues of government and systems. It is the human condition in the hearts of individuals that manifests itself in the institutions, in every society, and in every social construct around the world today, no matter how well-intentioned. 
no matter how well-crafted an organization or an institution or a political party may be, no matter how carefully articulated the platform of a government may be, what we see is the human condition beginning to work its way out in all of those institutions. You know, we don't have wars because nations are inherently evil. We have wars because human beings are broken. And human beings make up governments. And human beings make up nations. We don't have injustice because systems are inherently unjust. We have injustice because human beings are sinful. There is no, there is no animation, there is no soul or spirit in an organization. It resides in the human beings. And the reason that things go awry at the social level, and the reason that things go awry at the cultural level, and even the governmental level, is because of the core root issue that is in the individual. We look for a Savior because we know we need to be saved. There's this awareness in human beings that things aren't right. There's this awareness in the individual that things ought to be done differently. And that's where a lot of the uh, things that we see in our society, whether they're worked out in government institutions or in protests or in various ways, and I'm not making a judgment call either way on the validity of those, but there's something within the heart of a human being that recognizes when things are not right. And the human spirit cries for healing. And the human spirit cries for hope. Some look to politics. And some look to education. Some look to economics, money. Some look to science. We've heard that, haven't we? Trust the science. The problem is, all of these things have failed us. Because they don't recognize nor deal with the root of the issue. And the root of the issue is inside each and every one of us. It's the sin issue. A year like this year underscores all of this for us. It underscores our need. It underscores our, our vulnerability. It underscores our, our limitedness. It underscores the reality that no matter how gifted, talented, resourceful, how wealthy, no matter what we have, there are things that are beyond our reach. There's things that are beyond our ability to remedy. And in a year like this, it's really underscored in, 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 in as bold a terms as possible, how weak, how frail, how limited we are as human beings. To be so advanced, we sometimes seem so primitive as a nation. When you read the news, when you look at what's going on in our world, and you look at how far we've advanced in so many ways over the last millennium, and more precisely the last century, when you look at the advancement and you think, wow, what progress, and then when you just simply look at the news, you think, we're not a whole lot better off in so many ways. All the science and all the education and all the cultural reform have done very little to resolve the core issue. Nations still want to dominate. Tribalism is as strong as ever. Washington reeks as strongly as ever. Some of this, of course, trickles down into our personal lives. But even aside from that, we all have our individual challenges. If life outside of our home were perfect, 
if the government were perfect, if school was perfect, if culture was perfect, still within the confines of our house, there are problems. There are challenges. There are individual issues of sickness, perhaps of finance, relationship struggles, ongoing struggles of life. Those things that we wrestle with and struggle with. And in moments like these, if we're honest, many people of faith, in fact all of us at one point or another, wrestle with the reality of, does God see what's going on in my life? When you look at what's happening, and maybe the events of our society maybe haven't affected you personally, but in your personal struggles over time, there are those moments... Those moments where you question, is God paying attention? Does He know? Does He see? And when we struggle in these sorts of moments, in our way of thinking, when we suffer, God should respond. That's fair, right? When we are in crisis, we expect God to respond to every crisis and every sickness, and every struggle the moment we ask Him to. Don't we? Of course we do. This is how we think, and rightfully so, because we were not created to suffer. We were not created to be sick. We were not created to live in discord with other human beings. We were not created to live in the ways that we so often have to live in. In fact, Jesus Christ Himself felt the, the, the depth of this agony. And in that garden before his death, he's praying, asking for God to take the weight of what is about to happen away from him, to change the course, if you will. In other words, God, do you see and will you remedy this? And even hanging on the cross, we have those words of Jesus, that confession of feeling abandoned by God. But I've got really good news for you today. I've got really Great news for you today. And the good news is simply this. God has already acted on your behalf. We, we have in our minds that when I'm in crisis, I pray God should come. We have in our mind, I'm sick, I pray God should come. But I've got news for you. He has already come. And sometimes in our frustration, we are wrestling and wondering and trying to make sense out of life. And we're wanting God to do something, but God has already done something. In fact, He came. God Almighty, Spirit, Spirit in His essence, above and beyond the material universe, steps inside of time, steps inside the material world. Sometimes we gloss over that. Sometimes we, we just think, well, you know, he came in flesh. It is, it is beyond comprehension. Paul tells Timothy without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifest in the flesh. It is beyond comprehension how the limitless God could confine himself in a human body. How the all-knowing could confine himself to a body that has a mind that has limitation. How that the, the God who is sustained in and of himself and relies on nothing is now in a body sustained in relying on a mother. It goes beyond our comprehension to grasp it. In fact, one, one theologian of old said that what is not assumed is not redeemed. In order for him to redeem humanity, he had to step into humanity. And so God in the person of Jesus Christ... 
steps into the human experience. He takes on our suffering. He takes on our pain, not just on a cross, but in his daily life. He enters into life as a human being. No longer can you accuse him of not knowing. No longer can you accuse him of not feeling. You're God. What do you know? He knows all about every part of it because he assumed the human experience and he stepped into the human body and he lived this life. He came, He took our experience, He entered our suffering. And not only that, but on the cross, He took the punishment of our sins upon Him. He died for our benefit. He was in a grave, but He rose from the grave. On the third day, if you ever wonder if God sees, look no farther than the Christmas story, and it is absolute proof to you that God sees where you are. God saw you today, that's why there's Bethlehem. God saw your struggle in your family, that's why there's Bethlehem. God saw what you're wrestling with today. That's why there's Bethlehem. God knew where you would be in this service, this moment, today. That's why there's Bethlehem. And sometimes we're wondering, God, where are you? Would you do something? Do you hear me? And God is saying, I saw you before you were ever born. I knew you would be in the struggle before you ever got there. And I made provision before you were ever even born. This is the Christmas story. And as I taught on Wednesday night, the Christmas story, although not simplistic, is very simple. John encapsulates it, quoting the words of Jesus in John chapter 3, For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son. Christmas is God's response to seeing who we are and where we are. And you still might ask, of course, it's a very valid question, well, what about now? That's great, but what about now? We still live in now. We still struggle in now. The power of the resurrection of Jesus Christ comes to every human being who is willing through the power of His Spirit. I do have good news now. You, every one of you, can have your life fundamentally transformed by the power of His Spirit. The indwelling Spirit of that resurrected Christ. He comes and He transforms our lives. And it is an empowering experience. Peter described it as joy unspeakable and full of glory. Jesus told His disciples that when they received His Spirit, that they would be empowered, empowered by God. The now, the right now, is remedied by the power of the Holy Spirit. I am thankful that God, through the work of Jesus Christ, His death, His burial, His resurrection, has made provision for me to be filled with His Spirit. And when we celebrate Christmas, it's not just the sentimentality of a young woman giving birth to a child, and we can all have sympathy and compassion, and we all love babies, but there's something more profound in that. The God of eternity, from eternity, saw that we would need a Savior, and He came, and He paid the price, and He made a way, and now we can have sins forgiven, and we can be filled with the Spirit, and we can have life, eternal life. And that's why I read the passage I read to you, Paul quoting from the prophet Isaiah. There shall be a root of Jesse, and he who shall rise to reign over the Gentiles, and in him the Gentiles shall hope. I declare to you today, you can hope in Jesus Christ. There is hope for your life. It doesn't mean that you will live without struggle, but you can live filled with the Spirit. 
It doesn't mean you'll be exempt from trials, but you have Him who will walk with you through those trials. You have Him who operates in your life. There is hope in Jesus Christ. And I know what some of you are asking. You're, you're back stuck on the now. But what about now? Have a real life and real circumstances. Have real issues and real struggles. Well, that's the human experience. Five times Paul says that we groan. Three in Romans, twice in 1 Corinthians. He says, we groan. We struggle. That's the essence of human nature. That's the essence of living a fallen life. And yes, we believe in miracles and we receive miracles. But if we got every miracle we wanted, we'd be resurrected. And resurrection's not here yet. When we receive a miracle, it's just a foretaste of resurrection. When we receive a miracle, it's resurrection on credit. It's resurrection on loan. And I can't explain the whens and the whys and the hows and if there's some divine lottery system where some miracles get parceled out and some don't. I can't explain all that. I'll just confess to you. But I know this. We have enough to know that there's a God who has authority over the created order. And when He chooses, He can intervene in that. And He's speaking hope to us. And He's given us evidence that, that resurrection is real. The time is not yet, but resurrection is real. The miracles are, in essence, a, another sort of first fruits of resurrection. And He's speaking that hope into our lives. These, these miracles that we experience along the way, they whet our appetites for resurrection. They let us know that God is still involved. They let us know that God is still concerned. Miracles are that foretaste of resurrection. Miracles are that intervening in our lives. But the story is not over in the now. And yes, we struggle in the now. The apostles struggled in the now. Jesus struggled in the now. All Christians have struggled in the now. But the story is not over. What He did on Christmas and what He did on Easter is only the beginning. When you read the story... In Romans chapter 8, he says, For we were saved in this hope when you were converted, when you were filled with the Spirit, when you were baptized in the name of Jesus Christ, when your life was transformed. Yes, you kept living with crisis and trials and problems and sicknesses, but when you were saved, you were saved in this hope. But hope that is seen is not hope. In other words, if you have what you're hoping for, you're not still hoping for it. But we were saved in hope. What that means is there's something more coming. We were saved in hope. What that means is there's something more to be expected. We were saved in hope. What that means is we just got part one. We don't have part two yet. We were saved in hope. And that hope, but that hope that is seen is not hope. For why does one still hope for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we eagerly wait for it with perseverance. How do we know more is coming? We know more is coming because there's Bethlehem. We know there's more coming because there's Easter. We know there's more coming because of what He's already done. And though we may struggle and we may have trials and our world is in chaos, at this time of the year when we celebrate the coming of Jesus Christ, it should make hope spring up within us that if God loved us and He did that, that He started a story in motion and He started a, a, a process in motion and it is still going and there will be a resurrection someday. Jesus, hope of the world. When we celebrate Christmas, we're not just celebrating the cute nativity scene that is so 
well, it becomes nostalgic and it becomes, you know, kind of emotional, probably more to do with our sense of loving babies and, you know, the romantic idea of Mary and Joseph and this little story and all that. But the reality is the eternal God somehow bridged all of the universe and the spirit realm, stepped across all of that and somehow stepped into the limitedness, the finitude, the little bittiness of being human. And he did that for you. The Gentiles hope in this. You can take great comfort today. You can take great hope today. Jesus is the hope of the world. I want us to stand in a final round of worship today. We're going to sing and give praise to God. And then when we're done singing, I want to come back. I have a final word I want to share with you in just a few minutes. But I wonder if right now, if you need hope today, I want you to just lift your voice and hands. Would you do that right now? And you may not even feel it today, but I want you to just begin to thank Jesus. Forget the Christmas. Your Christmas may be discouraging. Your family situation may not be what you want. You may actually be depressed because of the season right now. I want you to just push all of that aside and receive by faith the reality that Jesus is hope today. Would you do that? Would you hope in Him? Would you give Him hope or celebrate the hope that He's given to you today? Come on, would you lift your voice in hope today? Let's rejoice in Him right now. Oh, 